Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining back here with us as we continue on in this series, Mending Fences, just really looking at how can we have deeper and healthier and better relationships. Because what you know and what I know is that when relationships are going well, our lives go well. And that when relationships are difficult, we can struggle with our lives and there can be a lack in our lives. And so today what I want to explore is today I want to explore something that damages our relationships, something that causes difficulty in our relationships, something that can even cause division and disintegrate our relationships, something you might have experienced or even be experiencing. Today what I want to take a look at are how cycles of revenge, resentment, and retaliation hurt and damage our relationships. That's what I want to take a look at, at how cycles of revenge, retaliation, and resentment, they can actually damage our relationships. And what I mean by this is something quite simple and clear and something you've likely experienced is how in any of our relationships, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in your you know, workplace, whether it's with your siblings or family or whatever it is, that there is a temptation, that there's a temptation when we get hurt to want to hurt someone back. That when we get insulted, we want to get even. That when someone does a dig at us, we want to comment something back. That's what I want to talk about today. How we can have these cycles, really, of revenge, of resentment, of retaliation, that can just go on repeat, and they can actually cause really deep damage in our relationships. So to give you some like practical real-life examples, here's what this might look like in real life, okay? What this might look like is that your family gathering, maybe your sister-in-law or your brother-in-law, you know, you don't really get along with. And so what you do as you are leaving is you do one last parting dig at them because of all the other things they have said that evening, that you try to get even a little bit. Or maybe you've seen this. Maybe you're surfing online and someone says something stupid. Shocking, I know, that online someone might say something wrong. So you comment, right? And then they comment, and then you comment, and then it starts to spiral a little bit out of control, and all of a sudden you're in a cycle of really retaliation and kind of revenge and resentment and bitterness or, or maybe you're at school. Maybe you're at school and you find out that your friend, they said something bad behind your back. So what you do is, you go to someone else, you say, yeah, yeah, I never really liked them anyway. And here's all the things I dislike about them. And you just keep the thing going. This is what I want to talk about today. How we can develop in our relationships these cycles of ongoing hurt with one another and how they just damage and divide us. And I want to take a look at this and what happens really what happens if you pursue retaliation and revenge and resentment building in your relationships through an ancient story, okay? And this ancient story that we're going to look at, I want to be really upfront with this, okay? This story is a little bit weird. It's a little bit strange or a lot strange. It's like The Bachelor in Paradise, The Ultimatum, and Game of Thrones all in one, okay? And I've only watched two out of those three shows, and you can take a guess which ones you think those are. But this is what it is, okay? It is graphic. It is violent. It involves a wife swap and some foxes. It is a very bizarre story. But I do want to take a look at it. Because what this story will teach us, really, is what happens. What happens when we give in to the temptation for retaliation? What happens when we give in to the temptation for retaliation? And here's kind of my big idea up the front, okay? That whenever we try to get even, whenever we try to settle the score, that we only and always make things worse, okay? We never actually get even with someone, we just make things worse. And so to see this, I want to explore, as I said, that kind of strange story of Samson is where we're going to be today. Samson in Judges 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up there. 
Now, the story of Samson is actually set into a few different kind of sections, and today we're really going to be taking a look at the first section of this story. And here's the context, really, for the story. Then the book of Judges, the Israelite people are in the promised land, but they're not really living as promised land people. They're oppressed, uh, they have difficulties, and they don't really have a real leader who is helping them to really move forward with responsibility and really with following the ways of God. So what God does is he raises up judges, okay? But these judges in the book of Judges, and Samson is one of them, they can really be a mixture of good and bad. Really, they can be a real mixture. And what we're going to see with Samson, really, is that he's quite more bad than good. And so I know that for some of us, this might go against what we've actually been taught kind of in um, Sunday school. But what you might not realize is that Samson isn't a good person. And as I said, this might not be the story you're familiar with, but this is actually the story that the Bible teaches, because what we see if we pay attention to the story of Samson, really, is that he is somebody who is consistently selfish, shows no restraint or self-discipline, and honestly, to be really kind of brutal with things, he seems to be constantly visiting prostitutes, okay? This is not a real role model for anyone. Just go read the story. Your Bible is incredibly interesting. You should read it, okay? So I want to explore this story, though, recognizing that he isn't set up really as a good role model. Because sometimes what the Bible does, sometimes the Bible teaches us through showing us what not to do. And what we're going to see with Samson is what happens when you give in to that temptation for retaliation every time and where it leads you, okay? So we're going to begin in Judges 14, right? Um, and so this is kind of the first opening to Samson after he's been born through a miraculous birth. We read this. One day, uh, when Samson was in Timna, uh, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and his mother. He said, a young Philistine woman in Timna uh, caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. Get her for me. His father and his mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among the Israelites you could marry? They asked. Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father. Listen to this response. And this is how you know this guy isn't a good dude. Listen to this response. Get her for me. She looks good to me. Get her for me. She looks good to me. Do you hear in Samson all the arrogance, right? The aggression, the control, and also the lewdness? Because Samson is actually born into what is called the Nazarites. He's supposed to be a Nazarite, which means he's supposed to actually live especially a life of self-discipline. He's supposed to live actually even more holy than everyone around him. He's supposed to really lead the way in holiness and righteousness. But look at what he's doing here. Not only is he demanding a marriage, who's he demanding a marriage with? Like the Philistines, right? They're enemies. He is literally going to go sleep with an enemy. This is what he's seeking to do. Simply because she looks good to him. This is a man who is not showing any restraint or even responsibility or thought whatsoever. So he decides he's going to marry this woman, and that's what ends up happening. Okay? They have this big marriage, and they have this big marriage party. That's a normal part of that day and age and part of that culture. But Samson, because he is Samson, does something ridiculous. Samson decides to actually try to trick his new wife-to-be family. So he offers them a riddle, really. And he says, if you can figure out the riddle, I'll owe you 30 sets of clothes. But if you can't figure out the riddle, you'll owe me 30 sets of clothes. And again, let's think about clothes, not like we do today. Let's think about it as it was in that day and age. That's wealth. That's money. Samson is using a bet to try to trick his new in-laws out of money. And surprisingly, you know, or not surprisingly at all, this doesn't go great, actually. This doesn't go over well. 
So what Samson's new bride-to-be does, and you should just read your Bibles, she just keeps nagging him and nagging him and nagging him until he finally gives up the answer. That's literally what the text says. It says this. So she cried whenever she was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration because it's a seven days of celebrating. And the entire time she's around him, all she does is cry and nag. It says this. At last on the seventh day, he told her the answer to the riddle because she was tormenting him with her nagging. Honestly, don't you love the Bible? You should read it. It's incredibly, like, amazing. So Samson sets up this weird bet. He then gives the answer to his new fiance, and she then tells all of her people the answer. So this is what happens next, okay? So before sunset of the seventh day, the men of the town came to Samson with their answer to the bet and the riddle that he has created. And the answer is this. What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And listen to Samson's reply, okay? Honestly, it makes me laugh because it's a funny line. He says this. If you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. If you hadn't plowed with my heifer. I'm, I'm not going to make any comments about what this might mean in that day and age. You can Google things for yourself. But this is Samson's like, response, right? He's so angry, actually. And then let's see what he does. I want to notice when he feels hurt, when he feels snubbed, when he feels insulted, follow with me, by things he's done, right? Really, this is all his responsibility. Let's see what he does. And here's where the story gets a little bit dark. He says this uh, in the text. Then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And Samson went down to the town of Ashkelon and he killed 30 men, took their belongings and gave their clothing to the men who had solved his riddle. But Samson was furious about what had happened. And he went back home to live with his father and mother. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. How oh, can you believe this? Samson gets so hurt that his instant reaction is actually violence. His instant reaction is aggression. His instant reaction is not thoughtful response. It's to go and kill people. It's really dark, isn't it? And then notice what Samson does. He just gets angry and he goes and essentially moves into his mom and dad's basement. That's essentially what the text says when he says, Samson was furious about what had happened and he went back to live with his father and mother. And then, in what might be the most bachelor in paradise thing ever, this is what happens to his wife-to-be. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. So things are starting to cycle here. And what we're going to notice next, really, is what does Samson continue to do when he is hurt? How does he react? What does he do? And we're going to see what ends up happening. Remember, our big idea is just this, that you never get it even. Things just get worse. That when you don't resist that temptation towards retaliation, your relationships will only get more difficult, more toxic, and more uh, problematic. So let's see what happens next, okay? So Samson cools off. And remember, we're just working through the text, uh, kind of passage by passage. So Samson cools off and decides to go get his wife, but it's been quite a while. So we read this in the first chapter of uh, chapter 15, first sentence, read this. Later on, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. Now, I have read lots of books on marriage and on counseling and on relationships. Never before have I heard the advice that if there's been a fight, the first thing you should do is to bring a goat. But apparently, if you want to be biblical, it is not flowers or chocolates, it's a goat. Okay, that's what, that's what Samson does. He hasn't seen his wife. Remember, he's rejected her. Remember, he tried to do this weird bet thing with his wife's family. But now he's going to go and see her and try to get her again. And he brings this goat along as well. And so he goes up to his father-in-law. And this is what he says to her. This is his opener. And I'm not making this up. You should just read the Bible. He says this. I'm going into my wife's room now to sleep with her. Are you seeing how, like, Samson really isn't a good person? Like, honestly. Like, if any of my kids acted like this, I would ground them, like, for life. That's what would end up happening. Samson has discarded his wife, right? Really. And now he shows up and he says, like, hey, father-in-law, I'm going to have sex with her. Leave. 
Like, are you seeing how Samson is really all about just reacting and arrogance? Notice with me in this text, so far, so far, who's at fault for every one of Samson's problems? The answer is Samson, correct? He chose this woman. He asked his parents to go get her as a marriage. He offered a terrible riddle. He then gave the answer to the riddle that every one of Samson's problems are all because of Samson. But what this, I think, highlights for us is what often so often goes in our relationships is that when we get into a cycle of revenge and hurt, we only ever focus on what somebody else has done, not our responsibility. I want to say that again, because I think that's what's going on in the story, that we only ever focus in on somebody else's problems and what they have done, not our responsibility. So that's where Samson's at, not focusing at all on what he has done. So the father-in-law responds and says to Samson, I truly thought you must hate her, her father explained, because he left her, right? So he says this, so I gave her in marriage to your best man. But look, here is her younger sister, and she is even more beautiful than she is. Marry her instead. Can you imagine? This is the Bible and not too hot to handle. Listen to that. He says, but look, her younger sister is even more beautiful than she is. Marry her instead. This is an actual conversation. But Samson, again, he can't handle any of this. He just gives in to anger and resentment and retaliation. So listen to Samson's response. Listen to what he says. He says, this time, this time I cannot be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you, Philistines. This time I cannot be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you, uh, Philistines. Notice with me, Samson takes zero time for reflection, for responsibility, for how he might have contributed to this problem. He just blames everything on them. He says, this time I cannot be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you, Philistines. And I know, I know in many ways, this story is miles away from our like, modern day lives. Like my bet is you've not had any of these experiences involving like a wife swap or goat or whatever else is going on in this story. But I think at a different level, we can relate. Because how often... How often have you or have I heard people say things similar to Samson? I can't be blamed for this. Like, they brought this on themselves. They deserve this. They'll get what's coming to them. Or I can't be held responsible for what happens next. What Samson is really showing in this story is how in cycles of violence, hurt, and retaliation, we blame others for our actions. That's what often happens. Then in cycles of hurt and retaliation, we often blame others for our actions, which is why relationships damage and split and divide. So the text says this. This is Samson's response to finding out that his father-in-law has given away the wife he did not want, right? That he actually rejected. This is Samson's response. It says this, that he goes out and he catches 300 foxes. He catches 300 foxes. Now, sometimes the Bible gives us details, and sometimes it leaves details out that I would love to know. Like how he did this, I have no idea. But the text says this, that then he went out and caught 300 foxes. He tied their tails together in pairs and he fastened a torch to each pair of tails. Then he lit the torches and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. He burned all their grain to the ground, including the sheaves and the uncut grain. He also destroyed their vineyards and their olive groves. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine how furious the Philistines would be? Can you imagine what it would be like to kind of just wake up and all of a sudden see everything burnt to the ground? Notice with me in this. Notice with me in this. Where is Samson's energy all going? It's all going, isn't it? Follow with me. Into getting even, into trying to settle the score, into revenge. And I'm just telling you, if we put half the time that we put into getting even and into revenge, into responsibility and forgiveness, our world would be a much better place. But Samson has no time for this. He just reacts, and this is how he does it. He goes out, and he burns down everything. This isn't a small amount of vandalism or arson. It's a wrecking of an entire economy. And the Philistines, they obviously, 
surprise, surprise, get furious too. They just retaliate, right? They just continue on in this cycle. They are so angry that this is what they do. And here, here this story turns from like mildly comical, or maybe it's just me and my sense of humor where I think it's comical, into really quite dark. Here's what happens next. The Philistines are so outraged with what happens that they go and find Samson's father-in-law and his new wife, and they burn them all to death, just like how he burned their fields. See, this is what happens. This is what happens when you continue in cycles of revenge, retaliation, and resentment. What happens is this. Things just accelerate and escalate. This is always what happens. Things just accelerate and escalate. Things just get worse. Things never get better when we give in to that temptation for retaliation. Right? But notice Samson's next response. Right? There's a number of cycles of retaliation in the story. Do you think now at this moment, after there has been some death in that, do you think Samson pulls back and he says, you know what, whoa, 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 maybe this has gone too far. Or whoa, 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 maybe I need to think about this. Well, maybe this isn't healthy. Now, what do you think Samson does? He just responds, and he just continues the cycle. This is what he says. Since you've acted like this, I will take my revenge on you, and I won't stop until I'm satisfied. Since you've acted like this, I will take my revenge on you, and I won't stop until I'm satisfied. Do you hear, do you hear honestly the arrogance and the blindness in this statement? Samson says, since you've acted like this, right? I mean, Samson thinks here he's taking the moral high road. But remember, what has Samson done? He has burnt down everything. He has rejected his wife. He's killed 30 people. And somehow, he still thinks he's the one in the right. Because isn't that what we do as humans? So often, don't we justify our bad actions because of somebody else's, right? So often, don't we justify our bad actions because of somebody else's? That's what Samson's doing here. So we read his next kind of retaliation. Now this cycle just continues. We read this. So he attacked the Philistines with great fury, and he killed many of them. And then he went to live in a cave in the rock of Etam. And notice, notice with me, where revenge, where this cycle of hurting leads you. Right? Notice with me, where is he living? He's honestly, literally living in a cave in the rock of Etam. Okay? This is like an ancient day equivalent to living in a van down by the river. Okay? Like, that's kind of what's going on here. Samson is now utterly alone. He's utterly isolated. And if you paid attention in the beginning of the story, what you would notice is that Samson actually was popular. In verse 10, it actually says that he's one of the elite. Remember, he hosts this wedding, and there's lots of people there. It lasts for seven, uh, seven days. There's this huge celebration. He has a mother and a father. Yet now, yet now where is he? Both literally and metaphorically, he is living alone, isolated, and locked away in a cave. That's what's going on. Because this is where revenge, this is where resentment, this is where retaliation leads you. It always leads you to be isolated and actually cut off from other people. So next what happens is the Philistines react. Because both sides, both sides just keep trying to get kind of even. And again, you just always make things worse. So the Philistines retaliate by setting up a camp in Judah and raiding the town of Lehi. This is in verse 9. And so what began, follow with me. What began really as a problem between Samson and his fiance, right, has now switched between Samson and his family to the fiance's family, now to actually nations. It's involving the people of Israel and the Philistines. So the Philistines start attacking the people of Judah. And so the people of Judah go to the people of the Philistine and say, why are you doing this? Listen to how the Philistines response. It sounds almost exactly like Samson, that they're just caught in this cycle that they can't break out of. It says this, We've come to capture Samson. We have come to pay him back for what he did to us. The Philistines just want to get even and to settle the score. But again, violence, anger, 
resentment, and revenge never make anything better. They only make things worse. That's what happens next in verse 11. We read that 3,000 men go to get Samson to bring him to justice. And they say this, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? Like Samson, you're just making everything worse. You're actually not helping at all. You have all this strength, all this power, all this leadership, and he is not using it. He's not using it for any good, right? What do they say? Don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? But Samson replied, I only did to them what they did to me. Listen to that. I only did to them what they did to me. And I don't know about you, but I've heard people in marriages say this. I've heard people when I'm mediating in family say this. I've heard people in conflict say this all the time. And here's what I believe with this, that when someone says, I only did what they did to me, that this is almost always a lie. It's almost always a lie because Samson hasn't just done what the Philistines have done to him. He's actually escalated it every time. And so have they, right? It just gets worse and worse and worse. But the men of Judah told him, we have to uh, come tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. All right, but promise that you won't kill me yourselves. And so 3,000 men come to Samson and this is what they do. Remember where this kind of began. It began with Samson and a failed marriage and a goat and some other problems, right? And foxes and all of that. And now... Now it's involving 3,000 people. Now it's involving nations. Now this resentment, bitterness, and anger has spread that far. Because this is just the truth, okay? The truth is, is even though we might think that our fight with someone is purely personal, it never is. It never is. It always bleeds out. If you're fighting in your marriage, trust me, this is bleeding out in your family. If you're fighting in your families, this is bleeding out there. If you're fighting in your workplace, this is going to bleed out there as well that what we know is that resentment spreads. That's what the short story is showing, right? Resentment is spreading. And he says, if I only did, I only did what they did to me, which is never true, because things just keep getting worse. So the story kind of comes to a close with one of the most famous parts of Samson. What ends up happening is that Samson is given over to the Philistines for all the damage and violence that he has caused, and he's tied. But what happens is, is he snaps the cords with this strength. And then what he does, which you might know, is he finds a jawbone and he kills a thousand people. He kills a thousand people. He kills a thousand people. And this, this is what I'd like to suggest to you. This is where always, you know, violence, anger, resentment, and retaliation end. It always ends in a really dark place. It always ends in a really dark place. Now I know sometimes people want to make out Samson to be a holy person simply because he had the spirit of God upon him at certain points. Right? I know that some people really want to read that into this story. And while it is true that Samson does get redeemed a little bit in two chapters from now, what I want you to be really clear with is that Samson is not a good person in this portion of the text. Because what you notice really clearly, if you pay any attention, Samson never once prays. Samson never once asks what he's called to do. Samson never actually takes any responsibility or shows any self-discipline. And in fact, Samson never makes anything better. Because this is how the narrator concludes this section. This is what he says. This is what he says. He says, Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the period when the Philistines dominated the land. You catch that? When the Philistines dominated the land. When the Philistines dominated the land because Samson never freed them. That even though he was gifted with strength, with leadership and all of that, he never actually used it because he was too busy being angry, catching foxes and sitting alone in a cave because he could not give up a grudge, he couldn't actually lead his people forward. And because of that, because of that, even though God had gifted him with all of these skills and abilities, because of that, actually the Philistines dominate the Israelites and they are never freed. 
This is why the narrator at the very end of the book of Judges judges every single thing within it. And this is his conclusion. He says this, in those days, Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And that's really, that's really what we see with Samson. So what does this mean for us all today? I know we've taken a while actually to cover a very strange story to walk through something that in some ways might seem quite distant from our lives, right? Because my bet is, is your life doesn't often include like a wife swap and foxes and all of that sort of thing. But what does this story mean for us? Well, I think at one level, obviously it is quite distant from our lives, but I think at another level, there are many things we can actually relate to. So I wanna pull out three themes that I see in this story that I think that we can relate to, especially in our difficult relationships, whether they are as you know, damaging and difficult as Samson's or less, three things I think we can relate to. First thing that I wanna notice in the story is just this, is that cycles, cycles of revenge and hurt are hard to break. That cycles, cycles of revenge and hurt are hard to break. And while I think we certainly see this in really stark ways and graphic ways in this story, I think this is also something that we can relate to in our own lives. How many of us have ever been hurt by someone? So we started a rumor to get back at them. Or maybe we started to play office politics or we've ghosted at somebody or yelled at somebody you know, publicly to try to you know, shame them or whatever it may be. That I think what we know in our own lives is that honestly, cycles of revenge and hurt they're hard to break. That when somebody insults us, we want to insult them back. But what we see then, what we also see, this is the second theme, is really, is that resentment, revenge, and retaliation, this stuff spreads. This stuff spreads. This stuff spreads. And it infects others. It never just stays with us. It actually infects wherever you may be at. This is why if you have drama and resentment and retaliation going on in your office, it can soon split things. Or if it's happening in your families, there can soon be sides. Or if it's happening in your school, there can soon be kind of groups and all of that. That what ends up happening with revenge and retaliation, that unless it's stopped, unless somebody says no, unless somebody chooses not to engage again, that it spreads and infects others. And the last point is, last point is just this, is that in revenge and retaliation, you never get even things just get worse, okay? That in revenge and retaliation, things never get even, things just get worse. So what do we see from this ancient story? I think we see th three things. How hard it is to break cycles of retaliation, how retaliation resentment spread, because that's what we see. It started off with Samson and really this, uh, his fiance, and it just spread and spread and spread. We also lastly see how in revenge and retaliation, you never get even, things just get worse. So what do we do with this story? Well, I think this story is both a warning and a challenge. It's a warning of what happens when we pursue and indulge and let feelings of anger, resentment drive our actions, when we give in to feelings of revenge. I also think, I also think it's a challenge to live differently. That sometimes what the Bible does is it gives us an example to follow and says, live this way. At other times, it gives us an example of what not to do. I think that's what we see in Samson that Samson never once actually does any inner reflection and take any responsibility. He just reacts and responds and goes for revenge every time. And what we see then is what happens if you totally give in to those feelings. It'll end up damaging you. It'll make sure that you end up living alone in a cave. It'll make sure that there are no relationships around you because that's what ends up happening to Samson. And even though, even though God gave him a calling, even though God gave him skills and amazing abilities, he actually squandered it. He squandered it because he never used it and the people were never free because he was too busy. He was too busy harboring feelings of resentment, anger, and retaliation. Okay. So what is my main point this morning? My main point actually is really simple. It's just that we need to stop cycles of revenge, retaliation, and resentment. 
that if you want to have healthy relationships, if you want to have some mending fences, if you want to actually have any depth within our lives, we actually need to give up on those cycles of revenge, retaliation, and resentment. Because what we see here in the story is what happens when we give into that. We see how things just get worse. We see how hard it is to break that cycle. And we see really, we see really how it all spreads. So today then, what does this mean practically? Well, what it means is just this, that if you want to break the cycle of revenge and resentment and retaliation that can easily happen in our relationships, the way you do this is with one word. It's with forgiveness. It's with forgiveness. It's with forgiveness. Forgiveness is the practice that stops those cycles of revenge and retaliation. Forgiveness is the practice that makes sure that they don't just keep going on and on and on again. Forgiveness is what we do need to practice if, if we're going to have healthy relationships and if we're going to ensure that we don't end up in a place like Samson. What Samson shows us really is what happens when we choose not to forgive, when we choose to continue to just react and to escalate things. Forgiveness Forgiveness is the practice that breaks those cycles of revenge. Now, I've preached on this often, but I do think it's important for us to mention here, is that when I say the word forgiveness, I am not talking about forgetting. When I say we need to forgive people, I'm not talking about reconciling. And when I say forgiveness, I do not mean living without boundaries. Okay? I think this is really important. That forgiveness is not forgetting what somebody has done. Forgiveness is not reconciling with toxic or abusive or ongoing hurtful people. Forgiveness is not living without boundaries. It also doesn't mean we never press charges or anything like that. What forgiveness is is really simple. I want to be really clear with this. Forgiveness is a conscious and deliberate decision to stop a cycle of retaliation and revenge. That's what forgiveness is. It's a choice to release feelings of resentment and to stop harboring feelings of anger and condemnation and to give those over to God. Forgiveness is saying, I'm no longer going to have this person have control over me by how you know, tied up I am in knots. Instead, I'm going to practice the hard work of forgiveness, giving up on those feelings and choosing to stop the cycle of violence and revenge and retaliation that can happen. Or to use an example from the story, forgiveness is when you choose to kind of drop that jawbone that Samson picked up. Samson went for another round. Every time Samson could, he got right back into things. He hit again. He swung again, whatever it is. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to hit back. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to continue this cycle going on and on and on. Because ultimately, if you ever have a cycle of revenge and resentment and retaliation, the only way it's ever going to be stopped is if somebody chooses to do that with forgiveness. So practically, what does this mean? Well, my bet is, my bet is, is that some of you who are hearing this today, you might have some relationships where perhaps in the past two years, there's been this kind of ongoing drama or difficulty. Maybe it's with a neighbor, maybe it's with a family member, maybe it's with a friend, where now it seems more like they're a friend of me and it's weird and it's difficult. Well, here's my challenge for you, okay? Here's my challenge for today. That in any place where there's this ongoing cycle of division, of anger, of resentment, of retaliation, here's my challenge for this week. I wanna invite you to practice forgiveness. I wanna invite you to practice forgiveness, to actually stop that cycle of violence and revenge through practicing forgiveness. And what does this look like practically? Well, here's what it looks like for me. It means praying and spending time with Jesus. That's where forgiveness begins. It means praying and spending time with Jesus. So what I do when I'm trying to forgive somebody who has hurt me, when I'm in this kind of ongoing fight and battle where I just can't let things go, what I do is I spend time with Jesus praying about two things. The first thing I need to pray about is, Jesus, where do I need forgiveness? Jesus, where do I need forgiveness? Because did you notice? Did you notice? Samson never spends any time in self-reflection or responsibility. 
So the first thing I seek to do is to say, Jesus, where do I need forgiveness? What do I need to own in this relationship? And then the second thing I pray about with Jesus, and I pray about this, you know, as often as I need to, maybe it's every hour or every day, whatever it is, I pray, Jesus, would you help me forgive so-and-so? Jesus, would you help me release these feelings of anger and resentment and bitterness that are just locking me up? Jesus, will you help me to do the hard work of forgiving them? And I pray this again and again and again until it really starts to take root. Until I can finally say even these words, which are sometimes really hard, Jesus, would you even bless them? So what I want to invite you to do today is something that's very hard, but it will make all of your relationships better. It's to stop any ongoing cycle of drama and division and retaliation. And the way you do that, the way you do that is through forgiveness and through prayer. So I want to challenge you to sit with Jesus and to pray through those two things. To ask him, ask him, Jesus, where do I need forgiveness? And Jesus, how can I offer forgiveness? If you want to know, if you want to know where I came up with this idea of those two things, of asking where I need forgiveness and then offering forgiveness to others, do you want to know where I came up with that? From Jesus, from Jesus. Because you want to know how he teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? He teaches us, dear Lord, forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who have trespassed against us. That's what I want to invite you to put into practice this week. Would you just practice that small portion of the Lord's Prayer where we go to him and say, God, what do we need to own? But what do we also need to release? Because that is the only way that we can actually stop these cycles that hurt and harm and spread and aren't doing anyone any good. So with that, would you join with me in prayer here this morning? Dear Lord, I ask, I ask God, if we have any particularly difficult relationships, I pray would you give us wisdom in how to deal with them. I pray would you give us courage as we seek to practice forgiveness in the midst of them. I pray God would you help us not to pick up that jawbone, to go for another fight and another round, but instead to stop those cycles that are so often so prevalent in our relationships. God, I ask, would you give us courage? Would you give us wisdom? I also pray, Lord, would you give us discernment? discernment for the right things to say, the right things to do, potentially the right boundaries to keep, and especially, Lord, for any area within our own life that we need to take responsibility for. So I pray, Lord, you will help us in our relationships by helping us to practice forgiveness and to actually stop those cycles. And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now to help with this, We're going to be unpacking more of how do you actually practice forgiveness in our home churches this week. And also, specifically, Celebrate Recovery is an amazing place where you can go and learn and actually join deeper in this practice of forgiveness. So if you're looking for any help with that, those are two great next steps. And then other than that, we'll see you all back here next week. Grace and peace.